All right, I think we're on. Welcome everyone back. This is another episode of the GTM Kickback, the number one go-to-market leadership interview and strategy podcast in the world. We're back with another very exciting guest here with us. Chris, how are you? I'm Glad doing well, you. how are you? Likewise, <laughs> good, good to be man. here. Good. No, I'm excited to talk with you, man, from a couple of different points. We've got a very interesting topic today that we're going to get into that I think a lot of people I really just struggle with and sort of their own business operations as sales leaders and the way of building a business that will outlast you and creating sort of a, a scalable foundation. Someone actually gave me the quote the other day. It was it's a bit morbid, but it's like if I got hit on the bus or hit by a bus on the way into work, <laughs> you would have everything you need to continue things going without me. You're apparently the, the master of this, a master operator, a very well-respected leader in sort of the, the software and the cybersecurity ecosystem. And Excited for you to share some of that knowledge with us today, man. But let me leave it at that. Would you like to give a please, please give us a quick introduction on yourself, what you do, how you've gotten to where you are, and we'll go in from there. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so my name is Chris Walker. I'm a regional sales leader at Recorded Future. So geographically, I'm responsible for everything west of Texas. I've got about eight reps underneath me. Been doing this for about a year. I've been in this role, been with Recorded Future for a little over two years and some change. Prior to that, I was a, went from BDR to inside account manager to field rep at Force Point. Did that in about a two-year time span. Prior to that, I spent about six years in the military doing everything from being a private, lugging around machine guns to getting out, spending some time on special operations task force overseas, and then making my way to tech world. And it's been a great wild adventure in the last four years and change. It's exciting, man. Well, I always like to start and get a bit of backdrop in terms of what your introduction to tech was, why you chose a career path in that, and then specifically why you chose a career path in leadership when you were a high-performing seller yourself. Could you give us sort of the the one-two there? Yeah, of course. So, you know, I'll be honest, it was complete happenstance and luck that I fell into cybersecurity. I remember I got, I got out on November 5th of 2018, and I started about a week or so later as a BDR. And I think I had applied for about 100 jobs on LinkedIn. I had gotten hurt overseas, so I was like, I'm not, you know, it wasn't really a planned exit. And so I was like, hey, what am I going to do? And I just really fell into it. But, you know, I think a lot of the things we'll talk about later will make more sense. But before I even started, I had made the decision that I wanted to master whatever craft was presented to me. And I think that goes a very long way. So definitely complete happenstances. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, I don't think any of us grew up saying, I want to be a cybersecurity sales leader. (laughs) But, you know, lo and behold, here we are and life's amazing. As far as, you know, what made me make that jump from being a seller into into leadership, you know, I missed it, right? I had been a leader in the military for for a long time, and I definitely missed that. But again, we'll kind of highlight or go into more detail later. But ultimately, I realized that I had more of a sense of satisfaction from being able to instill knowledge and see others execute on it than I did from getting my own POs. Yeah, I like it. Well, let's talk into what you've done and what you've built as a leader. Tell me a bit about the business now, not necessarily recorded future and what you sell, but like how you operate something and run your business unit of of reps all across the country and what are sort of your leading methodologies, right, for leadership and operations and all that regard. Yeah, absolutely. We can definitely touch on that. So I think one of the biggest things is understanding who you are and who you want the team to become and who you want them to represent. And this needs to be very deliberate. 
So, you know, we have a several page kind of ethos that really encapsulates who we've decided to be even within the realms of our own organization. So when we took a step back and I looked at it, I said, you know, typically organizations are run from a very bureaucratic, you know, top down sort of methodology, right? And so when I really looked at successful things all across the world, no matter what the vertical was, there was something that was consistent. And that was that instead of having these bureaucracies, there was really small teams or groups of people or individuals that had the ability to work as a network. And instead of having this sort of, you know, lackadaisical robot file and rank system, you know, very soon it was established, hey, we need to have empowered execution. That's that's priority number one, right? We need to make sure everybody's well-informed all the way up and down the chain of the command. And we know this, right? By the time information on a deals go all the way up to the top and comes back down, it's stale, we miss the timeline, it's outdated, whatever that may be. So that was a really important first step is deciding like, hey, who are we gonna be and then how are we gonna do, execute on that with conviction? You know, I'll, I'll go kind of conceptual down to the more operational, tactical things that people can extrapolate yeah. from this. So that, that was really step one, you know, and then from there, we kind of focused on, hey, myself, actually, I'll say this was, hey, how do I create more leaders, right? It behooves me to be a gardener right, to go and tend to these flowers and go make these people the best that they can become. So one of the things that we do on an operational level on our team is that everybody who comes in as a new hire takes a DISC assessment, which is just a really simple personality exam. And one of the reasons that's so important is what we like to understand is how do people like to communicate? How do they communicate with others? And then how do they, how do those things change, whether they're in positive, great situations or when they're really stressed out and nothing's going their way? Because ultimately all communication and relationships, which is the largest part of leadership that there is, comes down to my ability to flex my natural expression style to meet yours in a way that's understandable to you and you can relate to it. And so we're always flexing all day. But if I have that starting point and I understand how I need to communicate with you, it makes things so much easier. There's a lot more into it than that, but holistically, that's really conceptually where we started with that foundation being like, hey, nobody cares about your experience. Nobody cares about your title, your skill level. We are all here to accomplish a similar goal. So we have to you know, be honest and open in our communication. We have to be transparent about our, really fe our real feelings. We have to share, update, and listen to, to new information and ideas. And if we can do all those things and execute with humility, well, there's nine of us in total. We'll have a nine times better shot than just one person saying, hey, this is my show. Yeah, where does this go into your concept of building something that's going to outlast you. How do you think about that? How do you, uh, I guess, elevate the people that are in your specific business unit and your reps on your team to, you know, be able to still be thriving, right? If and when you move on to another position or to another division or to, to something else altogether, right? Obviously, that's not the plan, but that's how you operate in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to kind of touch back on one of the things you asked earlier, ultimately why I decided to do this and why I really love it is I love to do two things. Personally, I love to solve problems and I love to build things. And that's what this is really all about. So one of those core things, you know, a lot of times as leaders, we say, hey, you know, I got to make sure I'm doing everything right. We kind of safeguard this information, those keys to success, like what's really being talked about behind those doors in that ivory tower, right? But being really honest with that information goes a long way. So it's been very deliberate from my end to be able to build everybody up, one, ascertain where they are, and then two, you know, make those hand 
curated selections of, hey, this individual has a lot of talent and experience, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to take them and we're going to lift them up. So the goal being at any given point in time, they can replace me. And same for them, right? They're, let's say my yeah. team lead, my number two, how do we build up those underneath to be able to backfill that role? 40% of that comes down from a tactical level, right? Of This is the things that you need to do. And this is how you move. I think the majority, you know, 60% really comes down to understanding those concepts of, of the roles that we're taking and being placed upon us. So every day I try to be self-aware about what I'm contributing and start to pull those reins back. And while I'm doing that in parallel, I'm pushing us forward, right? So I'm always kind of having this rubber band effect where I'm stepping away from the business to let them have more control, but pushing those targets and those ambitions further, which allows us to kind of stay in sync there. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And I bet it also takes, we talked about this in sort of our pre-planning call. It takes a lot of emotional intelligence and just a maturity to be able to operate in that regard. Like you've even gone as far to promote people to your level, right? Inside the organization that were once underneath you on your team, right? And it takes a lot of, I think, just security in terms of how you operate and how you are confident in the way that you lead in your abilities. And it is obviously in like outside looking in, everyone knows that's a good thing. You want to sculpt the people that are underneath you to be as good as you are, right? But I think a lot of sales leaders have an issue with uh, maybe it's ego, maybe it's lack of maturity, maybe it's just organizational structure and how things are modeled in different types of companies, right? I don't know if there's one answer that sort of covers all of that, but you've been able to do that really successfully and create next level leaders and create other people that are transforming the business in a similar way that I think is just, it, it's something that people should be envious of and I think replicate more often because it's a very mature way of operating that not a lot of people have done before. Where does that come from? How do you feel so secure and confident about it? And how do you put that into practice? Or maybe even just color it in more if I if I didn't say that correctly. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. Yeah. I appreciate it. It makes a lot of sense. You know, I think one of the big things is, you know, this whole thing, life outside of just business, it's a marathon, right? And we try to run it <laughs> sometimes. We try to run it looking at our toes, right? And and that can be extrapolated in multiple ways. But, you know, even just running your business, a lot of leaders run their business looking at their toes by worrying about what deals are coming in next week, right? We, we run our, our teams by worrying about, well, if they leave, that's going to create a hole for me. Right. So I think what it comes down to is taking accountability and being responsible. And, you know, I've said this to everybody that I've ever led my entire life. I am not in charge. I am responsible. Yeah. And if you have that mentality and that mindset that, hey, I'm responsible for this, then you will go and you will plug those holes. And, you know, like I, I think I've got about five promotions in the last 11 months that we've been able to facilitate at various levels. And, you know, obviously one of those is now my peer and being able to let me be really honest and candid here. It does two things. One, it increases your sphere of influence just wholeheartedly, right? That's what it does. And two, the only negative thing I could think is, hey, I just lost my top seller or one of my top sellers. <laughs> well, you know what you got to do? You got to go look in the mirror and say, well, why am I not getting everybody else ready to take that spot? There's yeah. always there's always holes to fill and there's always work to do in that regard. For well, sure. It's very selfless of you and not a lot of other people lead like that. So I think it's very commendable all the way back to building your team and constructing things from scratch or from basics, right? 
how do you go about that to get the right people that will work well in this environment? And how do you assess people for future success when you're actually going through qualification processes or just managing them early on in their careers under your leadership? Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously a huge part of that is hiring. Yeah. And I've, I've always broken down hiring into three kind of key areas, talent, network, who do they know? And then the experience level that they have. And I weight those differently. Talent is where I put the most weight because ultimately, if you have somebody who's not genuinely talented at what they're doing and somebody who is, the person who is can get the experience. They can get the network, but you can do 28 years. And I think we've all met those senior leaders who I've done this for 40 years and you're just like, but the talent's just not there. And so being self-aware, being honest and looking for those true things of talent. So, you know, when I'm interviewing people and I'm going through that process, it's very deliberate, right? Nobody's ever asked the same question twice. Again, what does this take? This takes work. You've got to get with your, you know, the rep, the, the SE manager, the HR person, your boss to really have a strategic plan of what do we want to pull out of this person over these three to five phone calls? So we're not just all going down, hey, how much dollars have you closed? Who do you know? And so when you do that, then you start to really focus on concepts, right? Situational based things. What decisions would they make? And that will help you to refine it. Absolutely. But, you know, if I'm being really honest, a lot of it comes down to gut. Do I work well with this person? Because ultimately they're going to work yeah. with you. And, and do you get along? And could you see the being somebody that's coachable? I know it's a cliche thing to say, but it's, it's honestly very true. That's why it's around. What sort of innate qualities do you look for in people that find the most success specifically in your management style? Yeah, people who are willing to learn, people who are willing to also push back. You know, I, I will go and talk to members of my team and I say, listen, hey, what can I do better? Oh, no, you're great. Everything's good. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate it. But we're not getting off the phone until you tell me something I can do better. Because I want to learn and I want to grow, right? So people who have that mentality succeed in this sort of environment that we're creating. And also people who just go in, they put that extra effort in. Hey, you know, I, I watched your CMO or your COROs, you know, video. I read this article about your company. You know, I sent the thank you notes. I checked in, you know, I tried to close you. I have a closed plan agreement. Hey, if I can do these things for you, can I start by this date? You know, I have these skills. I think that makes sense for this salary. Those things, particularly in selling, if you're a true master seller and you know how to work down those boxes and you know how to do those upfront agreements and work your way through those things, those are keys for life. That'll get you a great interest rate on a house. That'll get you a good car. That'll get you a good partner. It'll help you be a good partner. And so people who are already living that, that's what we need to bring into the organization. And maybe they need a little tuning for the finite things that we do, but that's the key to success for sure. Let's move into that, the, the tuning, managing, training, motivating, yeah. uh, something we want to talk about. How do you, how do you get people to excel, right? Tell Absolutely. me what's your, what's your methodology around that? What sort of tactics do you put in place? And mm -hmm. I feel like this is kind of a question, kind of a commentary. There's a fine line between getting the right person that is exceptionally outgoing and ambitious, but not going ahead of their skis and bringing a, an ego that's going to bleed into mm -hmm. and compromise sort of their own success later on, right? If they're yeah, too far. Do you, do you know where that line is? Do you have a, a grants on that? And how do you manage around it? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, ultimately, the biggest thing is growth, right? And that is set against that where that person starts. So you, you very quickly, you try to weed those things out. So I don't care if you're the best in the world, or you're the worst in the world, if you have the right attitude, and you're willing to grow, we're good. But to your point, you know, if we have those people who are just exceptionally skilled and talented, and they're not willing to grow, well, that's a reflection of exactly what you said. It's a reflection of ego. 
right? And we just don't have any place for that here. So the way to kind of circumvent that or to flush those habits out is to lead from the front in everything that you do, right? And a lot of people say, hey, I, you know, I would never ask you to do something I wouldn't do, but go do it. Go, go email the CSO, go do it for me, go call them up. You know what I mean? Go do it, lead from the front, actually be a leader that people can respect by the actions that you take. And I'll say this to, to kind of the earlier part of the question, I've always had four kind of key rules for anything that I've ever done when it comes to leading people. And it's people are more important than spreadsheets. Absolutely. Quality is more important than quantity. I would rather have a team of three reps that I know we can go out with than a team of 20. Competent reps can't be created after an emergency re- occurs. And you're starting to see companies realize that, right? We didn't create competent reps, or maybe you did or you didn't a year ago, and now we're paying the price for that. So you always have to be training, always have to be improving, getting better. And then, hey, the, the reality of the world we live is almost all deals require non-rep support. So how do we leverage what's around us, right? And so yeah. I think that that's really the most important part of it is, it is following those things, making sure that there's no ego taking place. And then, like I said, just leading from the front and being that example of, of what right looks like on a daily basis. I'll say on a tactical level, like we have weekly training. We have, and it's not just directed by me, like, hey, give me something, go find us a blog to read, go find us a TED talk, go find something that's going to make us better in some way every week. And, you know, honestly, if you're a leader out there and you don't have a 16 week training cycle with your team, you're doing something wrong. I've never seen a football team or a basketball team or any highly successful team just say, we're just going to play the game all the time and see what happens. Interesting. What do you put in place? I mean, every 15 weeks you're running different topics or different um, yeah. trainings or something of the sort. Can you explain a little deeper for that? Of course. So it's it's a workup system, right? So when are we actually, you know, used to call <laughs> we're going to battle here? When does that actually usually happen? Obviously, it happens throughout a quarter, but when does it really matter? Those last two to three weeks of that quarter, yeah. right? So we built the, the training system around it. We start from the beginning. The first two weeks are always admin recovery, like, hey, let's take it easy. Let's go in. Let's look at our forecast. Let's make sure everything's set up. Let's make sure we got the perfect pitch deck. Let's make sure we got all our resources aligned. We're building relationships so we can call in favors. Okay, after that, discovery. Okay, after that, we have to do discovery. We're going to go through objection handling for a few weeks. After that, then we're going to go into how do we scope things properly. After that, we'll go into legal negotiations and final commercial negotiations. Guess what? As soon as you're done that with that, and these are you know two-week blocks roughly where there's material provided, I'm issuing tests that I make myself. At the end of that, you just went through a whole cycle, and now you're ready to go execute everything on those last two to three weeks of that quarter. And then guess what? We started again. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's nice and cyclical, and it sets really clear expectations for what people should do on the timeline as well. Absolutely. That's cool, man. Do you have any, I guess, key takeaways or like true actionable practical items that say another sales leader that's managing a team right now and looking for some performance and answers to infuse into it? What can they take away from what you've done and put into action Monday morning when they get into the office? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I'll give this one away. Take get a get a piece of paper or take a spreadsheet and then write what down- all the secrets. Yeah, you got to give it away. Write down your your deals for your team, right? The rep's name, their deals, and then just make a box in your your sheet for tech win, POV workshop, close plan, agreed upon, executive connection. Do they have a day one experience? Somebody from onboarding talk to them. Have you had a tech alliance asset reach out? 
Have you set up a reference call? And then lastly, are you working with legal and procurement? We run this and we'll have reps and it's really simple. My reps have two jobs. Like there's so many things we talked about today, so many things more that we could, but my reps only know when they wake up, they have two jobs. Turn boxes green and find more deals to put in the sheet. It's that simple, right? So we know for a fact that if we turn more of these boxes green, right? If we had a tech alliance, because hey, newsflash to every sales leader out there, every deal you're losing, somebody else want a deal there at some point. Go talk to them, go find out what happened to them. If you do these things and you turn these boxes green, your likelihood and propensity to win goes up exponentially. And then the second part of the deal is, hey, am I building pipe? Am I putting more deals in here for me to turn these boxes green? And even though it's so elementary, you would be surprised at the number of reps who have closed so many dollars just following such a simple thing because it breaks it all down for us. And hey, when I wake up, I do these two things, I'm good to go. I got a couple more ones for you, if you don't mind. Uh, Absolutely. Slightly more personal to you. It's so disciplined and so processed the way you do things. Do you think a lot of that comes from your military background experience? I think some of it, you know, I don't, I think some, I think it encouraged it. I think the trials and tribulations, like some of the things I experienced on deployment, they bring out who you really are. They don't make you a different person. So I've always kind of been more aligned with that sort of thing. uh, A plan, you know, we know this saying, right? No plan is a plan. It's just a plan to fail. And so I've always kind of lived by that, even from a young age. Yeah, that's really great. And thank you for your service, by the way, if I hadn't said it before, but very respectable. And yeah, you run a very tight shop and clearly it's it's paying dividends to you. <laughs> Can you tell the people about the shirt and tie every day to work, oh. work from home? <laughs> I, I love this. I love this. And since we spoke like two weeks ago, I know I'm not entirely dressed up, but I've been dressing smarter. I've been wearing button up. I, I love might it. throw a, a sports coat on on like a Monday morning meeting, like the last couple of weeks. You, you very much inspired me and it's been noticed inside my company. So thank you for that. Um, why do you do this? Awesome. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. So I got, no one has ever seen me without a shirt and tie. No one has never seen me without a full suit on in a work capacity ever. And, you know, part of that is two things. One, getting out of the army was really helpful for me to just have a routine. Be like, hey, this is what I do every day. I put on a shirt, I put on a tie. That means I'm working. I take it off, I can relax. The second part of that is reputation. And it goes two ways. One, if people know you, right, they can respect that about you. A lot, we eat with our eyes as people, right? So why don't I take all those things off the table first and put my best foot forward? And then secondly, you know, I'll have people come up to me who don't know my name or who I am, but they remember me as, hey, you're the guy who wore the suit. So it's a little bit of free marketing for everybody out there if you want to do something. Hey, it doesn't have to be a suit and tie. Put on some neon colored shoes and walk around a trade show floor. People will know who you are. Yeah, Absolutely. I like it. I like it. I thought my brand the last couple of years, I had this idea where the only tennis shoe I wear is a, it's a Nike Air Force One to all my work events and everything is classless of that sound, but <laughs> it was meant to be like my standout. And it was for like a little while until like, obviously it's a very popular shoe, but it, I think it's like the most popular corporate shoe in the world now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, completely you started spoiled a trend. it for me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it was me, but I need to elevate to something like yourself. So it, it, it's very cool and interesting and cool how it pays off to you. Anything else to add here, Chris? I appreciate the time. Do you have anything Absolutely. to close or plug in or where the people can find you if they can find you? Yeah, I think, you know, Just LinkedIn is the best place to find me. My name is Christopher Walker. My plug is this. I would love if anybody listens to this and please don't just be a listener, be somebody who takes action in life. Go out and find one to three different people that are either your peer or below you and ask for 15 minutes of their time 
and ask for that time so you can tell them, hey, these are some of the things that I have learned and I wanna impart them to you so you can get better. Is there anything that I can yeah. do for you? And just go out and give and I promise it'll all come back to you. I love it, man. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you for giving up your time in the afternoon here on a Friday. I think it's a lot of wisdom and something really inspiring and something people could take a lot away from. So I appreciate it. Thank you everyone for listening. This is another episode of the GTM Kickback and we'll see you next time.